Morning. Happy Father's Day. What a joy to be here. It really is. And uh, my heart is filled with gratitude and celebration. Partly, honestly, just to be under an AC duct <laughs> on a soft seat. It's funny how sort of muscle memory, I kept on finding myself looking sideways at the screen. Then I realized, no, I can just look straight. It's fantastic. Big new screen and lights, and it's just fantastic. Thanks to Joel and the crew, so many of you who worked to get this looking so beautiful. Um, but honestly, my heart is filled with gratitude even more deeply because of the Lord who has brought us through. And he has been so kind thinking of that amazing grace through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have already come. The last 16 months has felt like that, hasn't it? Personally, in our families, and in this family too. But grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace has led us home, will lead us home. I, I'm just so full of gratitude that God has, has brought us, and the one who's been faithful to bring us this far will be faithful to lead us on. Amen. Amen. So good to be together. It really is. I want to unpack through Psalm 84 this idea of being a pilgrim people and uh, so helped by that three-minute clip. But Eugene Peterson said this, that we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. And, and we have been shaped by the buildings in which we have gathered the last 16 months. Uh, firstly, at home, as families, watching screens, then outside in the easy up camp, and then the last six months under the, the big tent. It's, it's shaped us. And we never want to be the same. There's a, there's a permanent shaping that we want to take a moment, not to be nostalgic, but to be reflective and say, Lord, how have you shaped us? And how do we continue a different people together? You know, even cities have acknowledged this. They're, they're aspects of cities that will never be the same again. They're not just going back to normal. If you look at Birch Street, it, it just looks different in downtown Brea. I hope they keep that tent and those seats up permanently. Maybe they won't, but certainly downtown Fullerton has changed the name of Wilshire Avenue to Walk on Wilshire. Cars will no longer be able to go there permanently. You'll have people dining out, and I love it. Fulton has gone, we'll never be the same. And, and in, in similar ways, how is Southland saying, and we will never be the same? And so I'm going to take us through one of my favorite psalms. As I read it, I'm sure you're going to recognize a really well-known worship song that comes from it. I'm reading from the NIV, and, and the very heart of it is about setting our hearts on pilgrimage. What is it to set our hearts on pilgrimage? Let's go. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, 
They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts, right? Than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows, bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. What is a pilgrim? That's the central verse of this pilgrim psalms. And we're going to spend three weeks in the pilgrim psalms, the psalms of ascent, as they say. Blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. What, what does that mean? Uh, to us in our American history, we think of the pilgrims who sailed on the Mayflower, right, to arrive here in 1620. And they left the land of their birth, pilgrims, and arrived here to practice their faith in freedom. But the idea of pilgrimage predates 1620. Uh, we think of John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, which he, he, he gives an allegory of the Christian life as a pilgrimage, a, a sojourn. But the Psalms predate that. And so a pilgrimage was Israelites traveling to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, particularly the Passover feast. And they would travel and they would sing while they traveled. And often it was long, dry, dusty, arduous, dangerous. But they'd travel as a people, a pilgrim people, to meet God in his temple in Jerusalem, or what they'd call Zion. And the one translation of verse 5 is, who've set their hearts on pilgrimage, it says, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. And so we're asking from the, the, from the psalm, what does it mean to be a people who have set their hearts on pilgrimage? And the promise here is that as we go through the valley of Baca, verse 5, and Baca means the valley of tears, we make it a place of springs, we go from strength to strength. That's an incredible promise for those of us who are journeying with God. That God is able to bless us in such a way, He's a God of blessing, that He takes us through a dry, dusty, arduous journey, and we don't go from strength to weakness, which would be normal. We're actually able to go from strength to strength. Isn't that amazing? Some of you feel like you are in the valley of Baca, in the valley of tears, even now. And all of us have had our valleys of tears in the last 16 months, amen? Some of us are still coming out. But the promise, the very heartbeat of this psalm is that our God is such a good God, no good thing does He withhold from those who trust Him that He is able to strengthen us through a valley of tears. Who knew that you don't have to go from strength to weakness, you can go under God's hand from strength to strength. And that's the promise here of this psalm. And I've heard so many of you say, man, this valley of tears has been so tough, but God has strengthened me. Who knew? Some people have said, I used to be bitter, now I'm gracious. 
Some people have said, I used to be entitled. Now I'm grateful. Some used to say, I used to be stingy. Now I'm generous. I used to be all about me, comfortable, and now I'm sacrificial. God is able to strengthen us through the valley of tears. And so I want to take a moment just to reflect in celebration. How has God strengthened us as a people? How have we moved from strength to strength through this season? And how can we mark it and say, we're not just going to go back to that God's done some powerful things in this last 16 months, and we're going to journey forward permanently changed. This is not virtue signaling. This is not say, Southlands, we've arrived. We have not arrived. We are still going from strength to strength. As Paul said, from one degree of glory to another. We are not yet what we will one day be. Amen? Amen. But thank God we are not what we were. We are strengthened. So how has the Lord strengthened us? Well, firstly, He's strengthened a passion for His presence. And we see this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. This is the intense language of love poetry. Even my heart and my flesh cries out to be with God. This psalmist, and it was the sons of Korah who were temple musicians. And so they were writing this for people who were longing for the temple. And their longing wasn't the beautiful architecture of the temple. Their longing was to meet with the living God. That's what he says. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He's longing for the temple, not because of the arches and the doorways, but because the living God is there. And he's recognized that nothing else quenches my thirst, my yearning, my longing for the presence of God. And then he goes on to talk about this bird, the sparrow. Even the sparrow has found a home at your altar. And the idea is of this bird that's flitted around looking for home here, there, and everywhere, but then finds home at the altar. The altar spoke of the presence of God. Oh, home. Reminds me of that quote by Augustine, Almighty God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless. They flit around like a sparrow until they find their home with you. The amazing thing about this year is that many of the things that made us feel home were taken away. Our routines, our rhythms, our, our exercise routines, our, our entertainment stuff that we looked forward to, our opportunity to travel, community, affection, even the way we worked. There was an absence of the things that made us feel at home. The gift of that is that that valley of tears became a place of springs as we found that the presence of God was our only true home. Isn't it amazing that in the absence of things that made us feel home, we recognize God is our true home. That is the beauty of a passion for his presence. It's amazing how out in the tent, there seems to have been more passion in the singing, in the preaching, even in the response. Maybe it's because it feels like we're in this like big tent revival. I wanna say, let's not lose that. 
as things that feel like home open up again. I love going to watch LA Galaxy yesterday in an almost full stadium. It felt like home. It was awesome. Some of you are going off on vacation, that's great. Some of you got back into exercise and work rhythms and it's great, but let's remember, those will never deeply make us feel like home. The living God, we were created to worship the living God. Only his presence will deeply satisfy us. Let's keep the passion for his presence, that one thing alive as we gather. Psalmist understood that the presence of God was not just this one encounter, but the presence of God when it meant that the people of God always resulted in the journey of God. There was a commission. Quick theology of the presence of God. The presence of God is not in one place anymore. Jesus, through his broken body, made a way for us to find the presence of God. And therefore, the people of God are the temples of the presence of God. And God's presence to fill the earth with his presence is actually through you and I. We are the temples of the presence of God. And therefore, when God meets us with his presence, there's always a commissioning. Why? Because God wants the earth to be filled with his presence. So we gather together in his presence and then we scatter to cover the earth with his presence. You think about Moses saying, oh God, don't send us up out on on this journey without your presence. And then the presence began to lead the people of God and it appeared as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Must've been so cool if it had just stayed in one place. Oh, presence of God, presence of God, wonderful. But actually it moved and that was disruptive. Can you imagine Israel camping out, you know? You just put the kids to bed. The manna and quail is on the grill. You're gonna have a quiet night around the fire and then the fire starts to move. That's what happened. The cloud of the fire began to move. Oh, but God, we just put the kids down. Manna and quails on the grill. No, no, actually the presence of God is moving, moving us on. It's disruptive. Okay, let's pack up, get the kids, take the manna and quail to go. Beloved, the presence of God will always move us on. We're a people in the move. One of the things I just wanna thank God for and honor you for is that even as we were in this weird moment was, well, where's home? God still empowered us to continue witnessing and seeing people come to faith and baptizing new believers, amazing. We're still able to plant another congregation in the middle of COVID. When people hear that, they say, are you off your rocker, Alan? What's going on? Why are you sending people out in the middle of this time when everyone's battening down the hatches? Why? Because the presence of God moves. They say, oh God, my heart and flesh cry out for your presence, but your presence is disruptive sometimes. Presence will move us on. Not just gonna settle in our nice comfy seats. We're gonna keep moving on, amen? Dads, a little whisper to you, one, of the biggest gifts you can give your kids is to introduce them to the disruptive presence of God. 
Dads are supposed to protect. Dads are supposed to provide. Dads are supposed to discipline, all of those things. But actually one of the best things is when a dad helps his kids realize that following Jesus is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's an incredible adventure where the presence of God leads us to places that we wouldn't otherwise go. One of the ways that I've introduced the disruptive presence of God into our family is through hospitality. Kids, you're vacating your bedrooms and sleeping on the sleeper couch because we've got some friends coming from another nation or another place and it's gonna be disruptive, but your world is gonna get larger. And they've got this global family now. Sometimes disruptive generosity, where our kids know, man, we trust in God for provision in this and this and this, and we'll gather them sometimes and say, guys, we feel God calling us to be generous to this person or this couple. How much do you think we should give? Oh, but, but we're trusting for a vacation. Yeah, 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 let's trust God that he's good enough. Okay, how much should we give? Okay, let's give this. And now we're on a faith journey together. And they see God bless this person and then they see God meet our needs and now we're following the cloud and the fire. Kids, not kids, dads, <laughs> introduce your kids to the adventure of the presence of God. I was thinking this morning about when Asher was about four and we were leading another church and, and it was right by this zone that was a hijack hotspot zone, this ro road. And like we were like, God, you've got to change this road because it's right by our church. People don't want to come to our church because people keep on getting hijacked there. So we had a prayer meeting down right by the hijack hotspot zones in South Africa, Johannesburg. And Asher was on my shoulders, young. How was he, three, four? Four. And we're just praying, we're praying up a storm. Oh God, why don't you change the fortunes of this road? Kind of dangerous place. And then we're driving home and Asher in the backseat was like, Dad, what was that like prayer that you were praying? I said, my boy, I was praying in tongues. He was like, oh, that was cool. I started praying a little bit of that. It's like, man, amazing. Just while he's on my shoulders, the Spirit of God comes on him, fills him on a journey. Doesn't always happen like that. If you come to our home, we just, we just like you. We probably, you know, watch too much TV and drink too much coffee and whatever, you know? But actually there are these moments where the disruptive presence of God comes and then life becomes an adventure following Him. Passion for His presence. Secondly, families at the altar. Verse three to four, the swallow, it says, has a nest for herself at the altar where she may have her young or where she may lay her young. And so you see this altar which represents the presence of God it's not just the mother bird that's there, it's her young who are there. It's a picture of the family at the altar. And then it carries on to say, blessed are those who dwell in your house, the family, they are ever praising you. Hear me out. What the psalmist is talking about is the glory of faith across generations when families worship at the altar. When moms and dads don't just find a place in the house of God, but actually find a place for their kids, it says they will be ever praising you. In other words, the chorus of worship will carry from one generation to another. Or as King David sang in Psalm 145, one generation will commend your works to another. 
I wanna say, God has strengthened us, not just with a passion for His presence, God has also strengthened us in this last 16 months and we cannot lose it as a family at the altar. We are still committed to kids ministry and youth and college and age specific mentoring and discipleship. We're investing more in that than ever before. But God has wonderfully messed up the siloed approach to church and we are not gonna go back to what we had. I believe one of the primary reasons and actually church psychologists, sociologists will bear it out that people age out of church and then never go back to church and leave the faith is that they never connected with the multi-generational family of God. They were all always kept in their age silos. So youth are always with youth and college are always with college. Now there's a place for that, we believe in that. But the last 16 months has messed that up. Firstly, at home when we were worshiping with our kids. And we became more aware of where we were spiritually and sometimes it was really awkward but sometimes it was really, really beautiful. I got a little video from a couple in the church called Eric and Angie Lee. And uh, they, they, they sent me a video of their two-year-old daughter worshiping in front of the screen. And he said, sorry, Eric and Gina, Gina Lee, he says, although we've been sad not being in person, we've been able to worship with our three-year-old two-year-old. She has learned the chorus to Waymaker, King of Kings, Living Hope, and now Come Lord Jesus by Sam and Becky Cox. She enjoys singing praise more than nursery songs, which I think is awesome. Every night before I tuck her in, singing praise songs with her, I've also grown to sing more through her, and it's a wonderful way, not only for me to bond with her, but a way to pray through praise. God has grown us as families at the altar, and it's been a wonderful thing. Before we had kids in with us once a month. We felt for the next season, we're gonna have kids in with us worshiping every week. Then they'll go out to kids, but we wanna be families at the altar. You see, what happens is when we silo out kids, it's a lot neater and a lot quieter, but it very easily gets very sterile and neat. I'm amazed that when Jesus cleansed the temple in the Gospels, that he didn't make it neat, he made it holy. And there were kids running through, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, and the scribes tried to shut them up. Send them to kids ministry. And Jesus just quoted Psalm six, and he said, from the lips of children, you have ordained praise to silence the avenger. There's something amazing where we allow our kids to worship with us, it awakens something in us. There's something amazing as well when they start to encounter the presence of God with us. We've seen that. Sophie was on her way to Fulton Junior College. She was worshiping with us at a fast about three months ago. God spoke to her, she wept and wept, Come home, came home and says, God's spoken to me, I wanna to go to England to serve a church for a year. Why? Because we dragged her to the altar. I wanna say, dads, don't make moms drag your kids to church. Take responsibility for that. It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's dragging, sometimes it's not, but man, be there as a family as much as you can and then trust that the Lord speaks to our kids. It's also for us, because without our kids, without our youth, 
we get really boring and stuffy and grumpy, don't we? Amen? Three, God has strengthened us as citizens of heaven. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. On pilgrimage. And we know that for Israelites, pilgrimage was to Jerusalem, the holy city, to, to Zion. But for, for Christians, our pilgrimage is to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly city. We are citizens of heaven, as Paul says in Philippians 3. And from heaven, we await our Savior. We acknowledge that heaven is not a geographical place on earth, even though God's kingdom is coming to earth. That actually, as Jesus prayed, my disciples are not of this world, even though they are in this world. And I pray that you would protect them from the evil one, Lord, that they might be in the world, but not of it. What does it mean to be strengthened as a pilgrim whose true citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth? What does that mean? Nick and Carly, welcome back. Married. <laughs> I just saw you there. So great to see you. Great to see you. It means that, that we are rooted here, but our home is not here. If I am a pilgrim whose citizenship is in another country and I'm passing through another country, you know what? I study the culture, I study the environment. I mean, I'm obeying the laws of the land as much as I can, but I'm not gonna get so rooted there. I mean, let's say this, you go off to Canada for your vacation, you can't because the borders are closed, but if you do, right? And you go and you come back here and you got some maple syrup and it was, that's fine. It's like you didn't lose your American citizenship. You come back wearing a big like maple, you know, T-shirt, maple leaf T-shirt and saying, oh, sure, sure, there's a problem. <laughs> like, hey. Uh, you're not a citizen there, are you? Weren't you just a pilgrim? Right? That's what happens sometimes, is that we forget where our true citizenship is, and we get so rooted and so affected in this nation, in this world, that we lose something of the touch of heaven. And I wanna say, man, all of us have been tested. Our, our citizenship has been tested. Where we've had to ask, am I, first and foremost, a citizen of America? Am I first and for foremost connected to a culture or a political party? Or actually, am I first and foremost, my allegiance is to the kingdom of God? That doesn't mean that we don't vote and don't have convictions. It just means that we looking at everything through the word of God and saying, we want first allegiance to the kingdom of God, not to our culture, not to our nation, not to our political party. That has been tested. And very often the church has just looked too much like its culture, its nation, and its preferred political party. And the people looking on just say, we, we don't get it. Like we thought you're supposed to have allegiance to something bigger. Do you know, if we are citizens of heaven, we can have convictions one or another way, but we will be quite politically unpredictable will be a little bit confusing. Let me, let me give you an example. The early church, one historian said, they had an open table 
but a closed bed. What does that mean? They were financially very generous. They shared. They were hospitable. They seemed quite liberal in that way, but they were sexually very conservative. They had a closed bed. It's an interesting thing to be the kinds of people that through the scripture at times, we will actually look quite liberal and at other times, we will look very conservative. Sometimes we'll come across very convicted and other times very compassionate. Let me give you an example. We were with the police chief, Kirk and I and other pastors in the city this week. And he was doing kind of a retrospective of the last 16 months and he said to the pastors representing these churches in Brea, thank you so much. You guys fed 11,000 families in the last year. He said, thank you so much. You made our job easier because people with full stomachs are less likely to do crime. And crime in Brea is way, way, way down. I think it's about 80% down. Isn't it amazing? He's like, thank you so much. You really hope? That seems like very open and progressive. We're just feeding. And then he said, and then we saw you guys protesting down on Birch Street against racism. And we weren't too sure what to make about that. And he said, but then we watched you and you were going around to people and saying, honor the police, honor the police. This is not about defunding the police. And you actually asked some people to remove their signs. And he said, you made our job easier. You could tell he couldn't quite work it out because we were protesting against racism, feeding the poor, but honoring the police. I think that's, this is not virtue signaling. I think that's something of the kingdom of heaven. We guys are like, where are you politically? Our allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. And, and, and our primary lens is through the word of God. You know the beauty of that? Is if we like that, people who are different from us culturally, nationally, politically, they'll join. But if we're all exactly the same, people will say, there's no room for me, because I don't agree with you on that. Citizens of heaven, being strengthened as citizens of heaven. I wanna say we are called to hold our line in terms of moral conviction here. And the world will not always understand it. Increasingly beloved. I mean, Jesus prayed in John 17. The world will hate my disciples because of the word. It's just a reality. We're not the coolest kids on the block. But our compassion, especially for those with whom we disagree morally, is so key to our conviction being heard. If we're gonna hold a line in conviction in grumpy and judgmental ways, they won't hear it. But if we bend over backwards in compassion, they're more likely to hear, amen? amen. As life opens up, pleasures open up. <laughs> the things that make us feel home, let's not forget our true citizenship is in heaven. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the, the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord, and as well with my soul. Ronald and I, in the middle of COVID, there were moments when we were just like, oh man, this world has lost its glimmer for us. Didn't you have those things? It's like, oh, I'm just longing for heaven. 
this world is broken. So much anger and hatred and, oh man, Lord, we just want to go home. It's funny, that conversation's kind of stopped in the last three months because life is just better. I'd rather have it this way. But let's not lose our heart of citizenship for heaven. Amen? Amen. Finally, finally, how are you doing? Doing all right. God is strengthening us as a household of servants. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose way is upright. A doorkeeper in the house of God is literally someone who sits right out on the threshold. They're not right in the center of things. It's like, I'd rather be an outsider in the household of God than be an insider in the tents of the wicked. This is someone who has actually dealt with their love for the world and they love the household of God. But doorkeeper is more than just someone who's out on the threshold. A doorkeeper is a servant. A doorkeeper is someone who is welcoming, who is taking the coat and the hat, who is seating people down. How can I help you? A doorkeeper is someone who takes ownership of the house. I wanna say, beloved, if God is your father, his house is your house. As that old song went, come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Big, big table where we can, whatever. Audio <laughs> adrenaline. If God is your God, his house is your house. And he wants us to take ownership of this house. One of the things I loved about this last season is there were no doors. The tent had no doors. So people could wander past. What's going on there? And instead of, you know, I used to have conversations with people like, well, my life is just not right. I would never darken the door of a church. Well, there ain't no doors, so you're welcome. So it was just a wonderful welcome. And that's why we saw the church grow. It's an amazing thing that we've grown. Some churches have closed, closed down. We've grown by God's kindness. And that's partly just because there were no doors. And people came in and we've grown online too. Welcome to the folk online. But now we do have doors. And I'm asking, how do we not be that little cloistered monastic church where no one can get in? You know how? If we have six or 700 doorkeepers who's saying, this is my father's house and therefore this is my house and I'm taking responsibility for it. And I'm standing at the door, not necessarily all literally standing at the door, but I'm having a doorkeeper heart where I'm welcoming in the lonely and I'm serving the sick and I'm serving the weak and I'm looking for the gap. As we say in our church, in our, in our home, if you eat at the table, you do the dishes, right? With children in the Father's house. I wanna say this house is not the elder's house. It's God's house. And if we are children of God, it's our house. This last week, I, my wife and I went with Asher to Kent, Ohio. And Asher has just been signed to Kent State, which we're so delighted about. And uh, the youngest coach in D1 football in this program that's just going like this. And he was talking about ownership. 
in this program. And he was like, I'm trying to get people to own this. It's not my program, it's their program. And he's like, they're starting to get it like, people are coming and saying, please can I have a key to the gym so that I can go anytime? He's like, that's ownership. He said to me, I say to the players, how many of you have ever washed a rental car that you gave back? Any of you? Now Jim said he did, but Jim, be quiet. I'm joking. <laughs> but the reality is, I've never done that. Why? Because I don't own it. It's like, here we go. I didn't trash it, but it's yours, not mine. But actually when we take ownership of something, whether it's a football program or a church, we're saying, I'm a doorkeeper. If there is a gap, if there's a visitor, if there's something going wrong, I don't have to be on duty, I'm just on duty. And I wanna say, beloved, when we understand that Jesus was our true and better doorkeeper, Jesus who actually was banished from the house of his father, that we might come in. Jesus who was shamed that we might find a seat of honor at the table. We say, oh Jesus, true and better doorkeeper, we have gained access, help us to welcome others to the table that they might get access. Now I know there's a reality that we've come out of this last season saying, man, I learned to rest, to hang out, to have margins. I'm not just gonna say yes, yes, yes to every need of the church. I need some me time, I get that. But where we realize this is the one thing on earth that Jesus is building that is eternal, God's house. Beloved, the church is the one thing on earth that Jesus is building that is eternal. We say, Jesus, I'll be a doorkeeper. I'll say yes, I'll serve, I'll welcome. I believe that's the way forward for us. And so many of you have served so incredibly, but the gospel frees us to serve as doorkeepers in the house of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have brought us from strength to strength. Thank you that in this valley of tears, we have not gone from strength to weakness. We look back and we just say, Father, you, you got us through. As individuals, as families, some of us still have limps, some of us still have tears, but we hold on to the promise that you are good, you are a blessing. No good thing do you withhold from those whose walk is upright. And so we come to you and we say, won't you strengthen us and continue to strengthen us with passion for your presence, Lord. Continue to strengthen us as a family at your altar. Father, continue to strengthen us as citizens of heaven and a household of servants, doorkeepers. And won't you build your church, Lord? Won't you build your church? We thank you that we've seen that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And so we humbly just say, thank you, Lord. And won't you use us? Won't you lead us on as a pilgrim people? And everyone said,